Hey, everybody, Jeff Mason with Simple Biz 360 Podcast, simplebiz360.com. We're coming to you from Vi Media Headquarters in Chesterfield, Missouri. stlewispodcast.com is taking care of all the engineering and programming, so thanks to them. And we are here for episode 44. We really hope you liked us uh, dipping down under into Australia on episode 43, and uh, hope, hope you just had some fun watching that. Um, so anyway, we are going to talk about Think today. You see it on my t-shirt, right? It's really the whole concept of think, and we're going we're gonna to really direct that into procedures. So uh, first thing I, I want to just say about procedures is they uh, have the innate ability to put order to those repetitive actions. And by doing so, if we can, we can put procedures into place, it really prevents us from experiencing calamity. And it, in, in, in most cases, it enhances the stability of whatever we do, and it delivers a better product, right, and keeps us profitable. So one of the things I want to kind of get across to you today is take a look at this backpack. This is a backpack from a company called Tasmanian Tiger. Uh, it's made by uh, the parent company, Tatanka, and it is uh, a German company that has a Vietnamese manufacturing. They own their own factories in Vietnam. And one of the cool things about this bag that you're seeing right here, you see a V2 inside that bag. Well, that is the V2 carrying system. And one of the things that Tasmanian Tiger does oh so well is they have developed a carrying system for their long-range and short-range short packs that really can take a very, very heavy load for a military personnel or somebody in uh, law enforcement and or even hikers, and they can transfer that load through the carrying system, redistri redistribute the actual weight to have it uh, situate better on the back and the hips. And as a result, the person wearing that pack doesn't feel like they're wearing 47 pounds or on bigger packs, 72 pounds. They feel like they're carrying a lot less and they can go farther and they can do it quicker. Well, it's the same thing in business. Procedures are your carrying system. They are the things that are going to ensure that your business can be carried along without missing a beat with repeating the good things you do and repeating the, the, the you know, um, hallmarks of your company in a way that customers come to expect. If you own a restaurant and they come for your risotto, I think I've used this example before, whether you have Chef A, B, or C, if you have a recipe, if you have a procedure for making that risotto, that risotto tastes the same, and that customer coming in doesn't, they don't want it to taste different. They want it to taste the same, and they don't really care about if you have Chef A, B, or C there, or Cook A, B, or C. So they want it to experience that same risotto. So it, the carrying system in our businesses are procedures, so that they're a very important and, and vital part of our componentry. And when we don't have them, they cost us money. For example, uh, in the book, you uh, see an example of a, a tree stump that I needed ground, and I needed somebody to come and take care of it. I got the job quote and everything. Well, you see it took 87 days. The poor business owner lost, I, I think, at least 30% of his money on it. I think he lost all of his profitability. I don't think he had 30% in the markup. But um, at any rate, it, it, it all 
could be traced back to the fact that he did not measure my gate opening. In other words, in that set of procedures, that business owner did not have the gate measuring. And so when he came with the apparatus to go with this big machine to go through my gate and grind the stump, he couldn't get the machine through my gate. So again, it's those types of things that, you know, you want to really hone in and think about all the different things you can proceduralize. So I'm going to tell you a story about thinking that I, I, I share it in some of my uh, uh, Chamber of Commerce speaking events, and it's really something that, that was near and dear to me. Strangest sales call I ever had in my life. I made a sales call to AIG. I got up on the, uh, their headquarters in New York City on 70 Pine Street. This is back in the mid-'80s. And I was able to get to the executive floor. So it was the first time I ever got to the 18th floor, I think, was the executive floor there. And I was about three, four doors down from Maurice Greenberg, who was the CEO. So here I am meeting with this gentleman. And I'm pretty nervous because it's on the big wig floor. And I, uh, I, I, I step into the office and we had to immediately look at the surroundings of the office and like a little hard drive computer we had to figure out. Are we with a, a talker, a feeler, or a doer or thinker? And you had to look at all the stuff in the office and calculate it. And, blah, blah. and I go into the archway, the door, and I look in and I'm, I'm like, if I was nervous to begin with, now I'm freaked out. Because what do I see? I see a credenza with a lamp a phone, a chair, a pad of paper, a pen, and two chairs. That's it. No pictures, nothing on the wall, no word processing terminal because they really didn't have computers back then. Nothing. And I'm sitting there going through some of the questions, and I'm, you know, my, my job was to ask a bunch of qualifying questions up front to see if I could be of service. And I ended up saying, look, I, you know, uh, there's no way I can be of any service to you. And, uh, you know, I, I think at this point it would be wise just for us to end the meeting. I really appreciate your time, but I'm really curious. You, you, you know, you have an interesting position here. What is it that you actually do for AIG? And the gentleman, I, I believe it was from Singapore, he said, I am paid to think. And he went on to say, I'm paid to think of problems. I'm paid to think of solutions, to think of strategy, to think of um, opportunities. And then I take all my thoughts and I go into the board meeting and I, I, I transfer my thoughts to the board members so that they can, um, you know, see if there's anything that, that needs action. And so, you know, in an uninterrupted environment where there's no windows to look at or nothing, this, this gentleman was just, um, he was paid to think. And it was, uh, it was amazing. So I, I left that meeting, you know, saying to myself, if that's good enough for AIG, it's good enough for little old me. So my message to you there is the power of thinking think about your business in a contemplative way with technology turned off. Go someplace quiet. Find a place you can go to turn off technology and just isolate yourself with a notepad and with a pen and think about what you can proceduralize because it's those things that will help you retain profitability, give a better level of continual service to your customers, that repetitive service to your customers, and they'll refer you to more people and you'll get more repeat business. So here's another example. You see this um, mural in the background. Those are our eight chapters in the book, by the way. So those are the icons for each one of the chapters. But I want to show you something here as well. And I think this is just important to highlight. 
Sorry, I lost the mic there for a second. You're going to see this was the original um, iconography that was sent to me by the canvas making company. If you'll notice over here where you see my hand, they didn't engineer this right on the sides. The same thing's happening on this side over here as well to my uh, right. So, you know, this just was not acceptable. So I let them know and they ended up producing a new one for me that, that had all the iconography fitting into the 36 by 24 uh, measurement, and you can see that's the one hanging on the wall. But, you know, I don't know what the profit margin is. They had to pay for shipping twice. They had to pay for production twice. They lost money on that one I just showed you. And again, it's probably because they didn't have adequate procedures at the end of their production process to QC or quality control things the way they should. So again, there's powerful lessons to learn. Remember what we talked about in, in, in episode 41, if you stuck with us there, that, that lessons learned um, concept from the uh, person I worked with from the, who used to work on a submarine. Same thing. When you, th when you go into that thinking environment, you can, uh, you can really uncover some, some great opportunity for proceduralizing your company. So we're going to talk today um, on the Lost in the Shuffle track. It's a really, really cool story. Um, Les Paul, if you know Les Paul, uh, he invented uh, he invented a guitar um, that um, you know has been legendary. And the Gibson Les Paul, which was uh, the, the Gibson company, produced this uh, Les Paul guitar, and there's different iterations of it. But a lot of uh, famous guitarists, you know, just fell in love with the Gibson Les Paul. Well, um, there's a great story about, and I think it has a lot to say about improvement, the desire to improve on this artist's part, and the desire to want to proceduralize and play with the same instrument over and over. And it's, it's a story about Peter Frampton. And I'm, some of you uh, rock and roll um, enthusiasts might know this story already, but uh, one of my favorite bands, Humble Pie, Peter Frampton was in Humble Pie. And they were doing a concert uh, two, two nights in Fillmore West in San Francisco back in 1970. And uh, he, he was really frustrated at the end of the first show. Uh, he just didn't have, he got a lot of, he was getting a lot of noise, just wasn't his guitar, wasn't behaving properly. And somebody came up, somebody in the, in, in the crowd came up and said, hey, I have, a, I have a Les Paul here that I've made some modifications to. You're welcome to try it for tomorrow night's show if you want. And, and Frampton, you know, looked at it and so forth and played around with it. He said, yeah, this is great. I'm really frustrated with this guitar. So the next night he played with that Gibson Les Paul. And as he says in his own words, he was, he, he levitated. I mean, he felt that comfortable with that guitar. So he used that guitar for the next 10 years. And in 1980, uh, he was in, uh, I believe he was in Venezuela and he had some kind of um, situation where he had to put the guitar on a plane. The plane crashed. There were people that lost lives in the plane crash. Uh, he thought his guitar was gone. Somehow or another, it turns out the guitar made it. It made it all the way to, um, I believe it was Caracas. I think it ended up uh, in. And uh, at any rate, some musician there ended up having this for until 2012 when a local musician repair shop, I guess it was, or somebody on that, that was in the music business, saw the guitar and goes, you know, that, gosh, that looks like that Peter Frampton guitar that he's been missing. And so long story short, you know, they contacted Frampton, they negotiated, and Frampton got his Gibson Les Paul back in 2012. So, but he loved that thing so much, and for 10 years he played with that 
And uh, in 1976, he put out a live album on his own, under his own name, uh, Frampton Comes Alive. And I believe it's still one of the top-selling, if not the top-selling live album of all time. It held that record for the longest time. And I'm going to introduce you to a cool tune. You're going to see it up here. At the Lost in the Shuffle track is Jumpin' Jack Flash. Now, that was written by Mick Jagger and Keith Richards of the Rolling Stones, but Frampton does a phenomenal live version of this on Frampton Comes Alive, 1976. Enjoy. It's one of the classics. Uh, again, thanks so much for sticking with us. Procedures, baby. It's, uh, it's the way to go. Think about how to do it. Keep the shiny side up. Make your customers happy. Hold on to your sand. That's your profitability. Procedures help you to hold on to that sand. And we will see you next week for episode 45. Thanks and have a great week.